Welcome to Leadership Matters, a podcast hosted by me, Steve Parker, a series that brings a fresh perspective to leadership, motivation, and how to succeed by talking to a diverse range of CEOs, business managers, and world-class talent. We also offer some personal tips to help you in your career. Each episode aims to provide a snapshot into the life and philosophy of some of Taiwan and the world's most successful leaders, and to find out more about why leadership matters. David, it's really great to have you here today. Thanks for uh, making the time for us. Oh, thanks, Steve. It's great to, great to reconnect. Great to be with you. You've had a fantastic career across a lot of different areas. I mean, you've done finance, you've done, uh, you've worked in the marine area, um, you've done a lot of work with associations and stuff like that. But one of the things I think that's consistent in your career is that you've had to manage stakeholders across a very varied group, you know, from government to business to membership, all these kinds of things. I guess maybe I'm leaping in at the deep end here, but I really wanted to kind of ask you about, I mean, Singapore is such an important area of the world. A lot of people look at Singapore. And so it's it's quite high profile. And you're also dealing with varied stakeholders, CEOs who are running regional businesses. How do you deal with one, the stress of that? But how do you deal with kind of managing those multiple stakeholders across such a wide area? It's a really good question. I think a lot of it's learning in in the past. I've always been one of those individuals that have always, you know, having had a marketing degree um, as a background anyway, you kind of learn to map out your stakeholders and the important channels of how to best communicate business. And I think you can translate that to an individual as well. So, you know, from when I was a marketing executive, it was always a case of how do we increase the sales and the brand width of our of our products and services and who are the best people to talk to how do i how do i get there more quickly and what is it that they're looking for from my my company to help my company to grow so i've always sort of brought that mindset with me Um, and as i've gone through my career to this point at the, the british chamber of commerce in singapore it's mapping that out so understanding what is it that government wants at a higher level and then what do the directors want within government and what are the touch points and the things that are really going to trigger them to allow to deliver their strategy. From a business perspective, really thinking about how we act as that super connector and understanding that stakeholder mapping to make sure that when you've got that contact time with somebody senior that's very time poor and needs to make you know quick decisions and need to get something sort of valuable out of you quite quickly, um, building that trust, but also really understanding putting yourself in their shoes and having their lenses is quite important and doing some of that thinking in the background to make sure that you're not wasting anybody's time. It's been a bit of a gem um, for me, which I've learned sort of quite quickly. And then the third piece is sort of internally um, having a bit more of that sort of EQ rather than the IQ, sort of understanding how, how people might be thinking and feeling and that you might catch people on a bad day, but that's okay. And actually just having a bit more of a warmer personality sometimes can has sometimes helped um, just to put people at ease and just to try and build that trust. So it's kind of a mixture of all of that. But I guess the strategic bit for how I've managed stakeholders has been sort of really mapping that out and understanding where where all those dots join up and how we make sure that we, we try and connect people in the best possible way across a, a pretty broad uh, network. Every now and then you uh, you interview somebody like yourself, and uh, I've realized you've basically given me everything I need for the next 40 minutes in about the first 30 seconds. So it, it's a really nice summary. Thank you for doing that. I want to just kind of come back this EQ versus IQ thing, because I, I think this is, personally, I think this is super important. Um, I think a lot of people have the strategies and kind of tactics to do business. Yeah. But this idea of EQ versus IQ is, I mean, can you train it? Can you teach it? 
Uh, or is it something that, you know, I mean, there's a Harvard study that basically says, you know, the single most important thing that leaders have is just likability. It doesn't matter if you're smart. It doesn't matter if you've got, because you'll have teams and people around you. But can you build, can you build a team, you know, and can you build EQ into people? I think that's a really challenging question. Um, I think you can to an element. I think some of it's built into your personality, but I think we all learn and we all develop throughout our careers, right? And we start to think about some of the things that are more important in terms of our values and what we're looking for. So I've always been an individual that I was never an A star or an A student at school. Um, I, I tended to sort of really enjoy meeting people and making a bit of a difference. And I think that's ingrained in my personal DNA. And from a leadership perspective and trying to be likable I've always had amazing bosses in the past that have given me a chance and I think I try and pay that forward by giving other people a chance so I was never going to get the degree from Cambridge and come out with a first in, in something extremely technical I was always going to be a bit more of a broader thinker and a bit more creative and, and try and use my personal skills in a slightly different way and I, I think it's important to see that in other people too so if someone doesn't necessarily have all the technical skills for your organization actually if they've got the right personality and the right attitude and they've got that that sort of internal fire in them to actually let's go and make a difference difference they tend to make brilliant brilliant team members because you can train the technical bit afterwards so I think some of its personality in, in terms of your question in, in terms of upbringing as well but I think we sort of learn some of that because when you absorb through osmosis good leaders in, in in your career and you can see that others have done that and they've tried to be a little bit more malleable with people and they understand that people are going to think differently I think that really works I had a brilliant brilliant boss in um, in the wine and spirit sector um, who I'm extremely grateful for and try and catch up with every time back in the UK to, to keep saying thank you actually because he gave me some really important ground rules around strategy and how you communicate well and you build that trust because you've got to look credible in terms of the ability to do your job is the first piece, but also providing that understanding around the fact that people do think differently. So if you're in finance, you're going to be much more detailed and you want to get to the answer very quickly. Um, if you're in marketing, you're going to be a bit more creative and a bit more fluffy. Um, and I think adding some of that strategy to that sort of helps to manage up to those that are a bit more robust. Um, those that are sort of in leadership tend to be a bit more uh, a bit more direct. And sometimes people don't sort of sort of take that. And then you've got others in the organization that are a bit sort of a bit more warm and cuddly um, and, and like to support others. And I think there's always a blend of those sort of personalities in a, in a in a company and what he really helped me to understand was just think about their lens and if you can pump up your energy in the way that they're thinking you make a communication much more effective and, and make the team much more effective and I've always sort of taken that with me so a bit of aptitude and attitude but also everybody's a bit different and I think you know just making sure that you are thinking about how others think and what their objectives are out of the time that they spent with you has been really, really important. And that's been a massive learning point for me. I think this comes down to a, um, which is a very, very hot topic right now. I mean, over the last few years, we've seen this. I mean, you and I have both in our careers, my previous career with the British Chamber and your current career, you know, we've both built things like, you know, women in business programs, diversity yeah. and inclusion programs. These are very important topics for companies, corporations right now. What you've kind of encapsulated in a very small element is the kind of importance of this diversity in building teams. You've recognized that it exists, you know, and that you have to use that. Do you actively go out to try and build a different team? You know, we all have people we like. We all have people we don't like. I mean, that's just the truth. You know, <laughs> you, know you interview people, you bring them into your company, you tend to have people. It's just a natural thing, right? You go to your kind of like, I really like a certain personality type. 
you know, because you're going to have lunch with them or you, <laughs> you know, you're going to be hanging out with them every day. Do you consciously try to make an effort to build a team that is not just mini use? That's a great question. Um, so I always do a bit of a gap analysis on myself when we're looking at hiring a new role. So what is it that I add value to? And where can I sort of turbocharge the business through my natural skill set? But what are the bits that are missing from me? Um, I try and find those. Um, so personally, I'm not a hugely, I'm not a very detailed person. Um, I, I like I like people that can pull that together, and I can question question some of the detail and sort of drive. It I think forward. that makes you a, that makes you a boss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lack of detail tends to make you a leader somehow. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not always worked for me, but it, but but finding people around me that can sort of pick that piece up is really really important, as well as having that right attitude. So I think a bit of it it's personality based but I think it's also that skills based as well in terms of some people just like the detail and they don't like the creative thinking so I do try and sort of spot those spot those gaps and then just think about what what actually is the outcome we're trying to go for and being when you're building a team as well and looking for those people that you think will add value in your organization just be honest with them in terms of the journey that you're currently on in terms of where you've come from where you are now and where you want to get to is always pretty good in terms of certainly when you're hiring somebody just to be completely transparent um, about what the journey is going to be for them and they will quite quickly recognize whether that's good for them or that's not good for them and if it's not good for them it's not good for the business and it's not good for me and it's not good for the rest of the team but if it is um, then that works so part of this is sort of working out where my gaps are and um, what the wider requirement for the business is and, and some of that personnel that eq bit in the middle that really galvanizes a great team you've touched on this element of uh, i don't want to say kpis really but you've you know looking at the outcomes right yeah. There's a lot of different ways to describe this. There are different words. You've got OKR, you've got KPIs, you've got all sorts of things that you can put labels on these things. They're useful. But, you know, you talked about very simply, you have to make your people understand the outcomes that you're looking for. That's a conversation that is uh, uh, this element of setting vision, right? As a leader, your job is, well, part of your job, you work with a board. I know you have a number of different stakeholders, but your job is to kind of bring this vision to the organization. Then you have to convince people who, have, who, who may have other opinions that you're going in this direction. How do you go about achieving alignment in a, again, this is a multiple stakeholder kind of organization. You've got boards, you've got members, you've got staff, you've got outliers, other people, other organizations. How do you go about building this alignment? That's been really difficult, but it's been really really good fun at the same time and actually provides a bit of security so if, if i'll take on a little bit of a journey so when i started at the chamber here in in 2019 um board gave me sort of quite a high level objective to make the chamber more potent um more impactful and more sustainable both financially and in terms of sort of our green credentials as well and that was a great brief because and there's not not so much a blank canvas because there's stuff that works really really well in chambers but there's an opportunity to ensure that we weren't just being a chamber of chat. And that has its place, right, in terms of handing business cards over and having a glass of wine or a coffee and meetings and connecting people. It's really, really important. The community is really important. But really thinking about what is a chamber of commerce and what should it be in the future? So taking those sort of three high-level objectives that were sort of given to me, I then had to sort of translate that into something that was a bit more, um, something we can actually communicate to our stakeholders, one of our most important being, of course, our members, our three and a half thousand members and making sure they align to that. Now, you all know this from experience that we're quite lucky that we have a lot of activity that is peer reviewed. And I wouldn't say I hide behind that, but I absolutely love the fact that if the committees and of 
businesses operating in Singapore are championing an agenda, they're the ones at the coalface of their industries with the knowledge and the depth and the breadth of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis in their companies that really shape a better agenda for the wider community. So peer reviewing activity has been brilliant because it's provided that safe space for the team to be able to go and drive that agenda, but has also been putting in those sense checks in terms of, is this the right thing to do? So once we peer reviewed the strategy with the board and we developed our five core pillars around trade and doing business, around people, around diversity and inclusion, around education, around sustainability, the rest of the KPIs sort of fall off that, which then helped the team to go and deliver against it. So um, that's sort of how we've done it really. Um, um, is been transparent about some of our thinking, challenged some of our current ways of, of operating and linking that to what the members actually want and then marrying that up to the more strategic relationship that Singapore and the UK has. And we're quite lucky that we've, we've got a brilliant, brilliant relationship with the British High Commission here in Singapore, um, which is just makes my job a lot easier when you can pick up the phone and you can champion something or you can challenge something or we can work much more collaboratively but underneath that sort of relationship is the SGUK partnership for the future which underpins the relationship between both countries so alignment with all of that's been really important too so peer reviewing aligning uh, but also um, ensuring that when we take that sort of that top strategic piece about impact and about potency and about sustainability that it all flows through the rest of the organization has been, been, been super important it's flown past um because i've really enjoyed kind of just the way you've set out these things and i just wanted to kind of give it back to you to make sure that i kind of understand what you've been telling me yeah. um you know one of the reasons i do this is it's just a wonderful learning process for me listening to people talk about their process what i've heard from you today is like map out your stakeholders be aware of who they are and be aware of their needs. They're going to be different needs, different stakeholders, but you've got to go through that whole process. Thinking through other people's shoes. This is a really nice one. You know, my mother drilled that into me when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> always put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? Um, the value of EQ, which can often be undervalued, but EQ over IQ. IQ is useful, but EQ helps you get through the tough spots. Follow your own values. I heard that very strongly coming from you. As part of your job, you've got to enjoy your job. Enjoy meeting people. Enjoy the process of your job. Don't make it a chore. Give people a chance to learn. Give people a chance to grow. The attitude that you told me being more important than the skill sometimes. If someone has a good attitude, you can learn skills. There may be exceptions to that, nuclear physics or something. <laughs> Learning the skills is possible, but the attitude is so much more important. And you as a leader, this was really interesting. You talked about understand your own gaps. And I think that is something that we as leaders need to really focus on. What are our gaps? And then build a team that doesn't reflect us, but enhances us. Building a team, any kind of team, you know, requires, you know, I don't want to do sports analogies, but, you know, you've got, you know, you've got forwards, you've got backs, you've got runners, you've got, you know, people who do different functions in a team. You're telling me very strongly that this is very important in business. And then it comes to this kind of goal setting and vision. Understand the outcomes that you're looking for. Very, very simple but that informs your vision, it informs your KPIs, it informs your, your goal setting. Again, what I heard as a kind of a final piece from you is that you have to look at this big picture before you can go down and kind of start doing the tactical stuff. If you don't know what the big picture is, it's very hard to lay out the strategies and the tactics to get to that big picture. And the final thing I heard you say, and, and I'll, I'll come back to you for, a, for a kind of a final piece on this, but this final piece is just, getting alignment, using all of these things that you've shared. Most important thing then is to have alignment in your organization and externally 
on where it is that you want to go. Yeah. Um, you said it brilliantly. All I've tried to do is try to come back to you and give you <laughs> give you a summary of what I've heard from you. Is it, am I close? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're very you're very close. Um, and you know, I think we all learn from different leaders as well. I mean, if there, if there are a couple of other things that I sort of throw in there that I maybe I've not mentioned is creating a space a safe space for staff. I think is really, really important. I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we are human. Um, and sometimes, you know, we've, we've got roles, Steve, that where we're quite visible sometimes. And sometimes that can be a bit daunting, but we are still human at the end of the day. And we do make mistakes. And it's okay for people to make some mistakes. So allowing people to be able to, again, learn in that environment where they feel safe and there's a safety net that's being driven by the top, I think is, is super important. And um, I think the other thing is to highlighted it a little bit around understanding people, but caring about people is quite important to me. Um, whether that's you know their mental state or their physical state, just looking after people, making people feel like they're comfortable in the workspace, I think is is really valuable to me. Um, helps me to you know think about my own mental awareness and my own physical fitness as well, which is really good for, for driving that and sort of leading by example and all of that as well. Um, is, is is pretty important. Do all of this, but make it a safe space where people are willing and happy to learn from the mistakes so that these things don't get covered. I think that's a lot of, you know, honesty, right? Authenticity, be honest about it. You know, what have you done wrong? Come share and let's fix it. So David, it's, uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you about your kind of vision of leadership. I wanted to move now into maybe kind of getting a little bit more into the kind of the nitty gritty, you know, of how you go about building this kind of stuff. I mean, it's really nice to be able to talk about the, the, the visionary stuff. And honestly, a lot of us say the same things, you know, you create the safe space, you've got to have diversity, you've got to build these sort of things. How do you go about, you know, from a learning and development perspective, let's say you've got a team, they're all in place. What are the kind of things that you do when you get a, let's say a new person on board or you get a change in the way you need to run things or a new program you're going to run? How do you actually, you know, physically, tactically go about building the alignment and training people and developing to the understand and believe in the standards that you as an organization are setting and the programs that you want to run? Yes, that's a great question. And I think it changes by sector sometimes, and it changes by role that you're in and by size of organization. So if I, if I take the chamber here, which is, you know, roughly 10 people, um, when we onboard somebody into the organization, I'm sort of, I'm talking post interview process and making sure that we're the right fit for them. They like the idea of what they're stepping into, um, make it easy for them on the first day. You know, show that we are quite a friendly bunch. Is just setting the first example. Um, I sort of taken that from Lee Kuan Yew, actually, the founder of Singapore, really, the leader of Singapore, where he said, um, "If we're trying to get more investment into Singapore, more people to buy into what Singapore is, is this tiny nation at, uh, near the equator." Um, we need to make those moments of truth really, really important. So we want to make the journey between the airport and their hotel the best it can be, the greenest, the cleanest, the most efficient, uh, the nicest, the most comfortable, so that they have the first impression of Singapore is, is the very best. And I think that carries weight. You know, I think when you're onboarding anybody into an organization, you want to make sure that their first day is they're going to be a bit nervous and a bit worried about things. and They're going to be out of their comfort zone. So helping them on that journey to sort of set that sort of precedent around the type of organization you are is really good. And what I always do is meet everybody um, at all levels. And I always run through the high level strategy 
of where we're going to, just to reconfirm, readdress um, in person with the opportunity to ask any questions. And there's no such thing as a silly question. In fact, actually, um, we onboarded a, a new head of membership ooh, about a year ago now. Um, and in that process, she popped up with a couple of questions and challenges of things that we hadn't even been doing that, that wasn't even in our vision. And that's great because immediately somebody's having impact because you've given them that space. And then it's about learning, I think. It's about learning your colleagues. I think it's about learning the processes in a smaller organization and what other people are doing. So giving them the opportunity to sort of rotate around the organization over the first couple of weeks to really get an understanding of what our ops person does, or what our finance person does, what our events team does, or what our marketing team does, to sort of start pulling that together and why their role is important to start defining that. And then have a catch up to say how it's all gone and, and what are the challenges and where they're going to go. But it doesn't end there because we know that I mean, what's that old adage, Steve? Is it, you know, a year to learn the job, a year to do it, and then a, and then a year to leave? Um, that hasn't quite worked for me. But, um, <laughs> but uh, having that space for people to learn and understand that they're not going to know everything on, on month two or month three or even month six or month eight. Um, but that just providing that space for people to learn and knowledge is really good. And um, the other piece is connectivity, I think. Um, the Chambers are always a, an unusual organisation because we're micro-businesses processing mountains of info that's moving at a million miles an hour across multiple sectors and various stakeholders and policies changing and sentiments changing and everything's, everything moves at such a such a fast rate. And one of the first things that we did was put in an all-hands meeting every week, every Monday. Um, it starts off as an hour. Realistically, they last for close to two hours um, often because so much stuff happens. But it's a way that as a small organisation, it'd be different for MNCs, of course, uh, but for us, it's just capturing everything so that we know who we're talking to because we're meeting multiple stakeholders and managing that's really important. I think when somebody's coming into the organization and they can see the pace that we run at um, and we can give them that safe space to go, don't worry about this, you won't be picking this up immediately, but just keep listening and by osmosis you'll learn and your brain will just develop all of this stuff. And being part of those conversations every week where we all sit across all levels, I think is really valuable. And I think it brings people up to speed more quickly and it allows us to all collectively think as a team around that shared vision that we talked about earlier. I wanted to ask you about the, the, the whole hands thing is nice. And maybe if you're a big corporate MNC or whatever, then you do town hall or something like that. You can, you can do different versions of the same sort of thing. One of the things I've picked up on is that, you know, most leaders that I talk to on this show and, and elsewhere, and I guess you'd probably have the same experience, is a lot of us talk about the things that we think we need to put in place. Right, we, and you know where I'm going with this, yeah. right? Um, you know, living the truth is a little bit different to talking the truth. So the idea of an all hands is a fantastic thing. A, a lot of leaders, and I would suggest, especially kind of newer leaders, right? You know, maybe kind of mid-career leaders or whatever, who've suddenly been put into a position where they are now in charge of a group of people. Then you open the floor. You know, you're in a room and you open the floor to everybody to express opinions and stuff like that. Now, uh, you and I have lived in Asia for a long time. Often it's harder to get people to actually express opinions, which is one part of the puzzle. Yep. The second part of this is as a leader, there must have been times when you've kind of had that little sweat bead kind of going down your forehead where you think, uh-oh, this is kind of, you know, what has just happened? Or, you know, I've opened the floor here, but I don't really like where this is going or how. The vision is yours or the vision is the board or the vision is the companies, right? And then you've opened it up to diverse opinions and you're now having to deal with those diverse opinions. And it can be frightening for, for some people to deal with various, <laughs> well, have you ever had that experience? You may not have. You're a very charming person. Probably everyone just agrees with you. But have you ever kind of, 
Have you ever kind of experienced that level of fear or have you seen it in other people where you've kind of given authority to people and then you see them kind of struggling with this, you know, multiple stakeholder room or event or uh, an all hands? Yeah, I've got about three stories whirring through my head that have brought me back. It's been a bit of PTSD in similar situations in, in younger in my career, I think, where I came out of university and started my job and I felt like I had something to prove because, and I'm not being self-deprecating here, but I wasn't the brightest student in the school, right? Um, and everyone's got different skill sets, but I was, I wanted to make an impact. And I learned quite quickly in other companies that have brought teams of people together that the direction that you have as an individual to get from A to B and to go to that output that is good for the organization and good for the team and good for your customers um, is not necessarily your direction. And sometimes the quickest route might be the most precarious because there'll be landmines that you haven't seen. So actually taking a sidebar and going around the corner and going around a couple of trees to have a slightly, a slightly, a slightly different journey is really important. So um, where we've got some challenge, I think from a leadership perspective, I think I've always relied on the fact that I've tried to be transparent about where we want to get to. So if that's an event, if that's an International Women's Day event, for example, and we want to run a conference for 300 people, we want it to be meaningful and linked to the International Women's Day agenda, and we want it to, be, we want to have some out, output and some outcomes, the stakeholders that we manage to get there are going to be changing, they're going to have different views. And I, I think allowing people to have the space to be able to go and drive it perhaps in their own way that might not be necessarily the same way that you would do it is completely okay because the output's still the same. Now, I had to learn that because I thought I had to do it always my way. But actually, you can rely on the strengths of other people in your team that come out with ideas and solutions by opening up on all hands to talk about a specific event that you might not have captured. So just because we've got a wonderful uh, finance manager here and an manager uh, here at the at the chamber and you know their perspective and their lens is very different but they always come out with sort of ideas around how we might get something to work and I think that's brilliant so I think the space bit's good I've not necessarily had the bead I've had the worry of well oh, this is going to take a lot longer and there might be a more efficient way but also I think the trust is really important too just to allow the team to to get there I think is quite good while setting those parameters of course I think that's putting some guidelines in place is pretty helpful so it doesn't the project creep doesn't get to a point where it's it's quite scary but i think i've always valued that different views in the room kind of get us to the same objective as long as we're quite crystal clear about where we want to get to i mean i've talked to some people and then and they they talk about these all hands and they have this brilliant kind of you know they, they they like the idea and i do too i like the idea of everybody contributing do you speak first to set the tone or do you kind of speak last to uh bring it back to direction i mean how do you approach yeah good question so um I think to make people feel comfortable, I think it's always good to set the tone. Um, try and sort of bounce in bubbly and happy and this is what's going on, but realistic too. Um, and I think a big part of trust is around transparency. So, you know, where, where we have our all hands, I'm very transparent about the majority of the meetings. I mean, there are, there are obviously there's confidential meetings that you have and there's conversations that you have that are confidential that, you know, you need to, you need to be you know, careful about what you share. But broadly, I'm pretty honest with the team in terms of this is what I've been up to this week. This is what my plan is for the next week. This is why it's really, really important. And I want to go around the room and make sure that we sort of capture what's going on in your worlds and whether you need any support and help. And so I think setting that agenda and that tone is pretty important. But I try not to chip in when the others are giving their updates unless they're asking for help. Or if I feel that they're struggling, perhaps sort of say, you know, do you need any help with this? Or is there any other thinking around the room that, 
you know, we can help? Or has anybody got a bit more capacity that can just help out whoever it might be with, with, a, with a bit of support this week? Because this is a really important project that we're all aligned to. So I do go first. I don't know whether that's the right thing to do, to be honest. And it's a good challenge. It's a good question. I might, I might go last next time and just see how that works and come back to you. I spoke to a, um, a very senior leader, and I think he might have actually moved to Singapore now in one of the big multinationals. So I'm not, I'm not going to name the person. Um, they said that they had a, they did a 360, which is very brave of them in an organization of the size that they ran. Uh, and the feedback came out almost unanimously that, one, they needed to praise people more because they didn't. They weren't a terrible human being, but they just didn't use this. It wasn't in their arsenal, you know? Um, and the second thing was that people felt that they expressed their views so strongly that there was no doubt where they all had to go and so an all-hands town hall was pointless because everybody was very clear on what they were supposed to do, and so they just reflected that view. So what they did very bravely was to institute, he instituted a policy, and the policy was the leader speaks last. And so at that point, this person had already heard all of the varying views before they did it. They didn't open the meetings. The outcome of the meeting that we're looking for is a decision about X or whatever it is. And then they would open it and the, the room would go around. And at the end, finally, once they'd heard everybody, they were allowed to speak. And yeah. if there were issues with people's thoughts or whatever, then they could kind of address those. But it was a very brave thing to do, I thought. I quite like that. I think it's also setting your leaders up not to fail, perhaps, as well, because you've heard the room before you make your decision, if that makes sense. And you're able to sort of bring in all of their views and demonstrate from that perspective, in that way around, how others are adding value and you can reaffirm that. So if it was around giving more praise, that's a very smart way of doing it, where people feel they're contributing to a meeting and the leader at the end can wrap up and can can join those dots across the teams that are doing that. So I'm going to take that that's as a learning point, Steve. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that next week. Well, it's a great way, I think, also to get information, right? Especially, I think, I mean, I, I, you know, Singapore, I think, is, uh, is global in many ways. You know, I've been in Taiwan for 23 years, and in many ways, we're still quite traditional here, in many ways. You know, leaders lead, you know, and, uh, and everybody else kind of listens, and we wait for the kind of pronouncement from above, you know. Uh, and, and a lot of multinationals spend a lot of time on developing the confidence in their teams to express opinions. You know, education systems are different all around the world. Mm. Um, you know, where I am, we have an education system that values silence and repetition, you know, still. And it's changing. Um, it's changing for the better, I feel. Um, but that's obviously a very Western perspective. What I really wanted to kind of get here was this value of, you know, of setting up a situation where you, you have to create a, an environment of safety, right? Yeah. Which you talked about a lot, creating a safe environment so that people have a safe space to be able to express an idea. But also yeah. as a leader, I think if you, if you don't do this, you cut yourself off from a lot of potential information. You know, yeah. if you walk into a room and say, here's what we're going to do, you've cut yourself off from all these people who have vast experiences and different experiences to you. Yeah. And they may be right, they may be wrong, but you're, you're cutting yourself off from that if you don't allow them the opportunity in a safe space to talk. I want to move on now. I mean, this is a really interesting topic, but I want to move on to talk a little bit about kind of the future of work and how work's changed. We've been through this incredible, you know, I mean, it's almost impossible to do a podcast in 2023 without talking about, you know, the dreaded pandemic and how this has affected and changed work. And I think the disease of the pandemic has been horrible, but some of the results are actually quite good. It's forced us to change. I'm doing exactly what I said you shouldn't do. I'm actually preempting what I want you to say. <laughs> <laughs> but... What do you think about how work has changed over the last, let's say, not even just three, let's say five to 10 years? 
How do you think work's changed? What's going to continue? And what's going to be kind of just dropped? I don't want to do my organization a bit of a, a, bit of a disservice here, but um, I think for, for, from, our, from my, my experience, I think the culture and the connectivity of the team has got stronger through working remotely because we've had to have more contact points, um, which has been good. So there was that element of people feeling looked after and they could just quickly jump on a team's call and still feel connected when we were working remotely, when we weren't able to meet each other, when we were in hard lockdown here in Singapore. And it was, of course, it's relative across all different um, markets around the world. But one of the things that I tried to do before the pandemic was change our HR policy, which was very much you work 8.30 till 5.30. Um, and we had this thing in our contracts called toil, um, which I had never heard of before in my career. Um, and for those of you that were just as stupid as me when I started uh, four years ago, it's time off in loop. And this was where, um, if against a contract between certain hours, there were expectations that you had to work outside of those hours for whatever that might be. Um, they could claim the time back. Now, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with broadly with that. But when you're running a chamber of commerce, um, you tend to find that lots of meetings happen outside of the business hours because businesses still need to operate. So they tend to happen before the day starts. So it'll be earlier than 8.30 or they tend to be happening in the evening um, or across lunchtime or whatever it might be. So I tried to change the thinking internally to say, well, why don't we not have this hard stop and start and this time off in lieu and claiming time back piece. It was hurting the company in terms of the amount of hours that were being taken at that time to why don't we just be output orientated and be a bit more flexible as an employer. Now, what I hadn't realized and my learning point from trying to make that shift was that that was quite a substantial shift for people that were wanting to bank on the fact that they could work extra hours, then claim the holiday back because it was justified through the contract. So my learning perspective as a leader was, well, how do we get to a hybrid piece of that where you don't have to be at your desk all the time, but actually it's about just getting the job done and being a bit more flexible. So I hadn't quite come to the, the conclusion of that before the pandemic. So the pandemic has helped me because when you were working remotely, nobody was at their desk for the full time and they were looking after kids and doing homeschooling and sorting out groceries. And when people were coming back, we were all having to readjust this new opening up world of restrictions of masks and public transport and getting the kids back to school and suddenly having a kid that's tested positive with COVID and they've got to bring them home and, and they can't be at work and all that sort of stuff. So um, we've been really pragmatic and mature about it um, coming back and said, look, um, as long as we're all in for our all hands on the Monday, which is how we capture everything, and we keep everybody connected, and um, let's just be really flexible. Um, let's let everyone know where we are in our calendars so that we can, if we need to contact somebody, we can, and we can be transparent about that. But if you need to go to the dentist, or if you need to take your kids to school, um, or if you need to pop off to the doctor, or you need to go and pick something up because you've got busy lives as well outside of working for the chamber, that's all right, um, as long as the job gets done. And so far, so good. Um I think it's all, I think it's worked pretty well. And the only worry I had was because people aren't in, are members going to see that, that staff aren't all together? Are we going to miss things by osmosis that, you know, the call that comes in and somebody else goes, oh, I spoke to that member and I've had that issue um, that we're trying to help them through or whatever it might be. Um, or is there a perception that with people not being in the office, members feel a bit disconnected? So we're still learning, we're still working through that. But I think broadly, by being more flexible, I think we're a bit more of a fun organisation to work for. I had a very interesting conversation with, with a leader who lived in Singapore before, is now in Taiwan. And they were very honest about this, how actually the, the remote working worked really well for the staff. They struggled with it mm. because they wanted to, they kind of felt like they wanted to see people. Yeah. You know, and... As a policy, 
he was very happy. You know, they were very happy with the way it went. They, you know, they wanted the freedom, they wanted the flexibility for people. Intellectually, he got it. But he actually realized that, you know, after a couple of months, he was anxious <laughs> and he wasn't really, yeah. And so part of this is like, you know, is how do you manage people and how it comes back to trust, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you've got to try. You set outcomes. How do you manage those outcomes? And you will always get, if you set an outcome, I generally find that with teams and people, if you set outcomes, people will achieve what you ask of them, but only that, right? So if you're not asking them for the right outcomes, you'll get wrong results and then you get stress. So you've got to, setting these outcomes is super important. But then also, if you've made a policy, right, <laughs> you, you, you've got to be able to accept it, right? You can't just like, oh, I don't really, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah, and it's got to work for everybody. Uh, personally, I like being around people. And we talked earlier about, you know, understanding your own gap, your own personal and professional gap analysis. And I think having the team around me allows me to ask those quick questions that mean I can fill those gaps that I might not be sort of comfortable with to make better decisions. And I've just had to relearn coming back to the office that actually people aren't going to be in the office all the time. I can't just quickly ask the questions. So it's made me think about how you bucket the questions to go and talk to somebody about so you're making best use of their time, but also to make best use of your time when you're talking to somebody has been, has been pretty good. Because we do have, we have had to think and work differently with people working remotely and working flexibly. Um, and learning that process has been pretty important. People talk a lot about kind of generational change. And I don't want to be ageist about it, but there's a lot of discussion about the, the different ways. I'm, I'm in my 50s. You know, I've, I've gone through certain periods of, you know, change in the world. I have a, my own personal worldview. Time, experience and age has to affect you in some way. There are younger people working now and some I've had as interns, some I've had as kind of our early staff. And, and they're completely open about, you know, yeah, I've got three or four side hustles. I've got, uh, I've got other stuff going on. I don't want to come into the office. I want to be somewhere else. I want to work out of a coffee shop. I don't want, you know, there's all the, you know, there's all this kind of like, and, and I'm really comfortable with that because I've spent a lot of time on the road being a consultant or being a salesperson. And so I'm comfortable with off road, you know, or on road, on the road kind of, you know, working. And I, I can do it at nighttime, whenever do you catch up with your emails on the road, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you see a kind of different ways that you have to manage different people and different expectations on this? I mean, do you have a conflict of, you know, are there people in your organization who just want to be in the office and they think that's the way life should be? Are there people who just want to be outside, don't want to come in? I mean, how do, you know, opening this up to people, people have freedom, but, but then do they, you know, are people struggling with kind of not being able to walk across the room and see that person or, or even angry? I've seen, you know, people responding like, someone's not in the office, you know, I need to speak to them now. So yeah. we'll call them or, right? I mean, do you see these kind of, fractures happening with this new world of work yeah, yeah i think so yeah I, it's a it's a really really good question i don't think it's just the generation or the age piece but culture too um so we've got a, we've got a range of cultures that work for us and i think there's there's obviously sort of cultural and cultural norms that people are used to in the office but i don't want to sort of answer this question steve feeling a, a sort of sort of brushing it off I think it's probably slightly easier working for a smaller team that you can try and catch some of the perceived negativity on the changing sort of future of work. So, you know, there's, there's me and there's somebody else in the office that do like to be in the office every day. Um, I like getting away from home. I like personally, I like having home life, um, which is extremely separate to my professional life. And very rarely, um, once in a blue moon, do the two ever merge. Um, so working from home for me was quite hard because I didn't like bringing my workspace 
into my home space. Um, there's another girl in our office here that's that's the same, um, and there are others that do want to work more flexibly that have got sort of larger families, for example. So I think where there were some sort of friction points as we were starting to come back to the world of work, um, it was just about capturing those and trying to make sure that people were transparent about where they were, um, which builds trust again, without micromanaging and without sort of saying it's all got to be all up to date. But putting those touch points throughout the uh, throughout the week where we are together at our all hands has sort of captured a lot of that. And the other teams do put in their own team meetings as well. So they formalise when they want to catch up and then they sort of, that's worked quite well. So the Marcoms team will put in a, a slot to make sure that they're connected and the events team do the same where there's crossover they'll get together so it's been quite mature actually how we've all across all ages and um, from graduate throughout the organization have, have sort of dealt with it so but I think it's a bit of a cop-out answer Steve for you because I think it's a bit easier us having a uh, having a smaller organization because you can see it more immediately I can certainly imagine if you're running a team of you know not 10, 12 people, but 120, 150 people with lots of people feeling sensitively insecure about not seeing people and having different requirements and needs. And, you know, you'd hope that there was a stronger structure in terms of management and leadership at various levels to be able to capture that and to run the business well. But I can see that being a much harder challenge where you're having many, many more people with many, many more opinions being a bit, that causing a bit more of a headache. But here it's been okay. I think there's a lot of what you said actually can kind of come back to this notion of connectivity. Your concept of kind of building stakeholder engagement and understanding that is about being connected to all those people. Your ideas of kind of uh, understanding, having town halls, all hands meeting is connecting with people and making sure that you are aligned in the same direction. Your kind of approach to learning and development seems also about connectivity, making sure that people are connected to each of the functions in the, in the organization and make sure they understand what those functions do. Yeah. Um, remote working, your approach to kind of the future of work is still how do we do this but keep people connected? Again, I love talking to people about this stuff because I, I learn and I kind of digest and I've got this, this word has just come through consistently in your communication. And it's this idea of connectivity. And yeah. that's kind of where your learning has come from your teams as well, it feels like, you know, yeah. by being connected, you learn from your members by being connected to those members. They yeah. bring information and help you to build the vision. You connect to your board, you connect to your staff, you connect to the organization. The, the environment in general, external, Singapore, UK. Um, so I think I'm, I'm going to write your book for you. <laughs> and this book is going to be called, you know, it's David Kelly, Connectivity. I think that's your, uh, that's kind of key piece. It, it's been fantastic talking to you today. I just wondered if there was kind of one last thing, like has there, has there been a moment, a kind of an epiphany moment for you where you've just like something has clicked or, or you've realized that this is the moment to change? Is there something in your in your career that's really just said that was the moment where I thought, okay, either I know what I'm doing now, or or I know I'm not right. <laughs> you know, has has there been anything a moment in your career that's uh, really helped you to kind of become the obviously good leader that you are today? Well, uh, th thank you. Um, yes, there has been, and. I think it was about some personal development about where my gaps were. And we talked about that earlier, right? And I think what I tried to do myself was to say, well, you've got your stakeholder map, done all of that. You know where your strategy is. You know how to try and communicate. You've learned from your good bosses. But what do I really need as a leader that sits outside of all of that? And you're right. I've got a really brilliant board. I've got a really brilliant team. We've got fabulous members. We've got fabulous relationships with the UK and the Singapore government. All of that stuff around. We've got great relationship with media. Um, all of that stuff's really good to do the job. 
but I'm still missing something personally. And it's sort of my, um, what are the bits? Where are my blind spots that I don't quite see? And I'm extremely lucky. I learned where my gaps were, not to be embarrassed about asking others for some help. And by being honest and asking others for help, nine times out of 10, somebody's going to spend time with you and help you to learn and help you to develop because you've reached out because they're having an impact and they're paying it forward. And I will always pay it forward. And I will always support others that want some support as well. I think what's that, what that's created for me is my own safe space. And um, when I'm in a very visible role, it's allowed me to have some people that are around me that sit outside of the board and outside of the team that I can just sense check stuff with that give me the confidence to know that I'm doing the right thing. And they're giving me the their knowledge and their brain and their experiences. And I've got sort of four or five of those that sit outside of the organization that aren't formal mentors, but they're just those that I can pick the phone up to, I can ring, I can take for a coffee or a beer or a glass of wine or a quick bite to eat or a quest, whatever it might be. Just say, I'm really struggling with this. This is my thinking. Can you just help me just to sort of, why do I want to get there and, and just to, to just to use their knowledge? And so that was the trigger point. It's a very woolly way of saying, was there one point in my career that made me sort of set up and learn? It was really understanding my gaps, but knowing that I didn't have to fix all of my gaps on my own. And that actually my gaps can be a benefit because they open up an opportunity to connect with someone else, but also communicate and seek some support to help me to do a better job as a leader as well. So it's that piece. And if there's one bit of advice I would give anybody, it's never be afraid to ask somebody that's outside of your network for some help and advice. And you never know whether that becomes a more formal mentor so they can help. Um, but I think that network around me that sits outside of my job necessarily, that are still connected within the industry, has been really powerful for me and has really helped me to grow in my own self-confidence, cover my gaps, but also ensure that I'm doing the right thing for the organisation as well. Connect with people and never be afraid to ask for help when you need it. David Kelly, I mean, it's been a long and interesting conversation, uh, but I think those two points are a really nice place for us to leave it. Connect with people and don't be afraid to ask for help. David Kelly, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Look forward to seeing you soon in, in Taiwan. Cheers. You can listen to this podcast live on the fourth Monday of every month on ICRT and after that on the ICRT website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Leadership Matters by Stephen Parker. You can also check out my social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Look for my tagline, Leader Matters. We'll see you next time.